what goes up must come down. Welcome to the Brand Breakdown. I'm Michelle. And I'm Courtney. And this is where we're going to track the rise and fall of big brands, from companies to celebs to pop culture phenoms and everything in between. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Well, as you know, in the last episode, we were talking all about Harry's beginnings. And in this episode, we're going to be talking all about Megan's beginnings. With us is our resident royal watcher, Courtney, and we're going to let her take it away and give us all about Duchess of Sussex, Megan. Um, hey, so yeah, like Michelle just said, first episode was all about Harry. So we went over, you know, Prince Harry as a child. Then we went over his kind of hero Harry persona, his prince, his party prince persona, um, and then his evolution into the Duke of Sussex, which has been thus far his most mature version of his brand. Um, so now we're going to get into Megan's backstory. And one of the interesting things about Megan's backstory is that, well, she did grow up as a regular girl in the LA area, she had a different type of upbringing than a lot of kids her age because her dad was a two-time Emmy-winning set lighter. So she grew up on TV sets her whole life, which obviously translated into what she would end up doing with her future, being on television shows. She did a couple of small parts in movies. So Megan has always had a little bit more of an inclination for the Hollywood set just because her upbringing, you know, when she went to work with her parents, she was not going and sitting in an office watching somebody type away on a computer all day and push paper around. She was doing her homework while on the set of Married with Children, which is not something I could ever say I have any sort of experience with. So Megan's upbringing, while very different from Harry's and while very different than, you know, most kids in the rest of the country was maybe a little bit more common in the LA world and is something that I think really put her on the trajectory that she's been on from a very young age. It really shaped the person that she became. Um, the other thing about Megan that is much more familiar to many kids and, you know, grown adults in the United States is that she's biracial. Her father is white. Her mother is black. She grew up in a biracial household. Um, She also has parents who are divorced. Her parents got divorced when she was two years old. And we know that half of every marriage in the country, pretty much for the last like couple generations, half of people get divorced. So she's got that in common with so many people. Um, And she has two older siblings, which is also a very common occurrence for many people. Um, The interesting thing about Megan and her sibling relationships is that her brother and sister are a lot older than her. They are children from a previous relationship that her father had. So although she has two older siblings, by her recollection, she did not really grow up with them because they were already you know, teenagers when she was a baby. So Megan has these aspects of her, her private life and her pre-royal life that are very, very familiar to so many people and make her a very relatable person to so many people. And then she has these aspects that, you know, I couldn't possibly wrap my head around hanging out on TV sets as a child. That's just a whole other planet to me. Um, So Megan's upbringing definitely helped shape where things have gone in her life. Um, 
So yeah. tell me a little bit about um, her living primarily with her dad. Do we know what her mom was doing? Did they have a good relationship? Because from everything that you've said, um, she had a close relationship with her father. But when I first started hearing about Megan, all I heard about was her mother. I believe her name is Doria. She seems like a super lovely person, very serene looking, very zen and kind of a free spirit herself, which might mm-hmm. account for some of Megan's free spirited you know, tendencies. But I don't know a whole lot about the um, the relationship early on. Yeah, so it's really interesting. The the Megan that we see now has absolutely no relationship with her father at all. Um, like you said, you have always just heard about her mother. We saw her mother at the wedding. We saw her mother just before the wedding. She went over to the UK and um, spent some time with Megan and Harry. Um, actually, she attended the Invictus Games with Megan and Harry while they were still dating. So we we've seen Doria around. And we, Megan's father right now is portrayed as this like deadbeat dad. They have a terrible relationship. People think he's treated her so poorly. And it's interesting because when she was growing up, Megan actually for a very long period of time lived with her father and he was her primary parent. Doria and Megan have always had a very good relationship um, by Megan's account. We've actually never really heard from Doria, whereas we hear from her father a lot. Um, but Megan and her father and Doria, by all accounts, they had a Doria and Thomas had a good co-parenting relationship. It may have been a little bit tricky at the beginning, but by the time Megan was a teenager, they had a good co-parenting relationship. Megan lived primarily with her father. He paid for her schooling. She went to some of the best schools in LA. Um, he paid for her to go to private school. She went to Northwestern University for college. He paid for her to go to college. Um And by all accounts, he was a really great father. And this is, you know, this is from Megan. She's done interviews talking about her father. She's written blogs about it. So by all accounts, he was a great dad. So I know one of the ways, and you may have mentioned this earlier, one of the ways in which he paid for all of her education was by winning the lottery twice, which um, is insane to me that that A, you would win it ever, and then B, you would win it twice, and then C, you would use that money to pay for your daughter's education. I just think it's crazy. Um, So it it feels like maybe from a financial standpoint that maybe he uh, wasn't as uh, solvent always as, um, you know, some households are uh, because Mm -hmm. of the the lottery situation, which is surprising to me if he was a steadily working – set guy uh, on TV shows and, and mm-hmm. Emmy winning. Um, so do we know anything more about that other than the lottery situation? Yeah. So we actually do. And I, I think you and I had, had a conversation before where I mentioned I thought he won the lottery twice. I fact-checked myself. He won the lottery once. He won $600,000 or maybe it was $700,000. Um, and when he won the lottery, it came at a crucial time for Thomas because he had – just filed for bankruptcy. So Thomas has never been great with money, um, but when he had money, he spent it on his children. So I I don't know, I didn't dig far enough into why he filed for bankruptcy. I don't know if he had, you know, just a series of bad investments or maybe just, you know, was trying to live above his means or whatever the case may be. Um, And, you know, that happens to so many people. But the other side of it is that, Yeah. And I mean, I think when you're living in LA, you're working on TV sets, you are sending your kids to great schools. It's really easy to start living above your means. Um, 
And one of the things with Thomas is that although he was a two-time Emmy-winning set lighter, the set lighters are not being paid what the actors are paying, getting paid. You know what I mean? They're, he, he made a good living. He made a steady living. But he was not rolling in millions of dollars. And so winning $600,000 allowed him to clear his debts and put the rest of that money towards Megan's education. And this is also something worth noting her sisters kind of brought this up because we we have heard from her sister a lot. And Thomas did things for Megan that he wasn't able to do for his older children because he was in the position to do it. So he did what he could for his older son, Thomas Jr. and for Samantha. But, you know, Megan was kind of seen as she was the baby of the family. Um, she was doted on. She was daddy's little girl. This is Again, that's Megan's own admission that she was definitely a daddy's girl. Um, she had a really, really close relationship with both of her parents, and they both seemed to have done everything they could to help her you know, grow into a strong, confident woman. Her father would go as far as you know, when she was when she was little, she would have a lot of conversations with her parents. You know, you have to fill out a form or something and it's, you know, do I check black? Do I check white? And her father and mother would tell her like, don't check anything. You don't have to put yourself in a box. Like you do not have to literally put yourself in a box. And so she would just check other or as she started getting older, she would check a box and she would usually check white if it came to an application on something. And, but her parents always tried to encourage her that like she did not need to pick one side of herself or the other. Her father, one year for Christmas, went and bought a black set of Barbies and a white set of Barbies and merged them together so that she could have a biracial Barbie set so that she could see her family represented in her toys, which I think now there's a possibility you go to the store and that might be something that is much more common. But in the late 80s, early 90s, that wasn't a thing. You had to go out and buy two sets of something and mix them together to get your family represented. And her parents wanted to make sure that she just always felt like she could do anything and be anybody, which clearly that paid off um, <laughs> because she's probably gone farther than anybody would ever imagine for their child. Um, and I think that that's really a testament to her parents and the way they brought her up. Well, and, and to her own, ambition as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, I don't think she would be in the position she's in now. If she wasn't, um, cognizant Extremely. of her abilities and, and yeah. able to capitalize on them. Yeah. Um, so I would say Megan is extremely ambitious and the definition of hustle culture, <laughs> but we'll get into that later. Uh, right. And also the, one of the reasons I pointed out her father's financial situation is because we talk about it in a later episode, but, um, you know, he tried, um, to profit a tiny bit from her wedding, uh, just solely on his own selling pictures of himself. And I just wonder if that speaks more to his overall financial strategy than to trying to do anything to hurt the Duke or the Duchess of Sussex, mm -hmm. um, during that whole time, it gives me a little more compassion for him in that, that 
you know, it might just have been that he was struggling financially and this was a way for him to make a little bit of money. Um, yeah, we can, we'll talk about that, I think, in a future episode. Well, so, mm-hmm. you know, speaking to that ambition, let's chat a little bit about the Procter & Gamble situation um, that Megan talked about openly um, and then was uh, not referenced in an article later on Vanity Fair. I think it was ivory soap. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when Megan was little, she was like going into middle school-ish age. So like 11, 12, I think. Um, she had seen a commercial on TV for ivory dish soap. And the message of the commercial was not explicitly the woman's places in the kitchen, but it kind of alluded to the fact that it was the woman's job to clean up. And Megan took issue with that. And she said to her father, you know, that's not fair. Why is it the woman's job? The the guy can clean up too, which is entirely true. Um, <laughs> and there's that is a point that women have been making for centuries. <laughs> and so her father being, you know, wanting to be a supportive father and wanting to teach his daughter about equality and opportunity said, you know what? You're right. Why don't you write a letter to Ivory Dish Soap and tell them you don't think their commercial is a fair representation of what the equal workload in the household should be. And so she did. Um, I'm not sure the exact contents of her letter. And for years, Megan has told the story of how she wrote this letter. And then she received a letter back from Procter and Gamble. And basically they said to her, we've changed the commercial because of your letter. Thank you so much for your feedback. And then a few weeks later or a couple months later, a new commercial airs. And Megan has told the story that this happened because of her. She affected this change and that it was her first kind of foray into activism. And this is a moment in her life that she really holds closely to her heart because she feels that like this moment shaped her on her humanitarian mission. It turns out in 2017, and we'll talk about this later, but in 2017, she does an interview with Vanity Fair during her relationship with Harry. This is before they're engaged. And it's kind of just come out that they're dating. Vanity Fair wants to interview her. And this becomes a bit of a sticking point in the article. Yeah, so I I heard that. Um, Was this the Wild About Harry article? Yes. Yep, this was Um, Wild About Harry, which Megan took issue with that title also. uh, Well, I mean, I'm assuming she was Wild About Harry. I was certainly wild about my husband before I married him and still am wild about him. (laughs) So, I mean, I would would gladly take that moniker any day of the week. But, you know, Mm -hmm. I understand. It makes you seem like you're just a woman in love, which maybe she didn't want to be that um at the time she wanted to be taken more seriously the historians couldn't um confirm the story right so they took it out of the vanity fair article and then her dad said like hey sorry that was apocryphal uh they never wrote you back i was just telling you that to make you feel good which is totally a dad thing by the way yeah exactly so she tells the story in vanity fair and because vanity fair is you know a reputable publication they go and they check with procter and gamble and they say hey do you can you confirm this like do you have do you have a copy of the letter perhaps that you sent her is there any way that we can corroborate this story because we don't want to publish something that's not true and procter and gamble said we can't confirm that story um we don't have any copy of a letter and it became a situation where it was like, 
Procter and Gamble didn't explicitly say like she's lying and Vanity Fair didn't explicitly say she's lying, but they both said, we can't confirm that what she's saying is true. And her father then said in an interview later, once he started speaking to the press a lot and kind of just like, it's been, it's been very sad to see Thomas and Megan play out their relationship via the press because it seems like her father is always just begging her to talk to him and she will not. And so he does it through the media. He talks to her through the media, which is just really sad. Um, But he basically said at one point, you know, they, like I told her that they wrote back saying that they were making the change because of her letter, because I wanted her to feel good about herself. And I wanted her to know that I was on her side and that she can make an impact. What likely happened, I imagine that they did receive a letter back. It was probably just a form letter that said, dear Megan, thank you so much for your letter. Um, You know, we appreciate you taking the time to write to us and whatever, you know, the, the, the typical form letters that people receive anytime they send any sort of inquiry or letter to any company ever. We get them in our email all the time. Or you know? senator or politician yeah, or exactly. anything. Yeah, I have a bunch of form letters myself that I've received. Yeah, yeah <laughs> And I've so, probably written a bunch in my lifetime as a writer. Exactly. So she probably just got back some, redder, uh, some letter that was pretty generic. And her father took that as an opportunity to like, oh, hey, look, they wrote us back and they said, thank you for writing. And, you know, maybe, maybe the form letter said something about like, we'll consider, like, we'll consider your point or something so generic that is not a promise to anything, but, you know, a parent could potentially turn it into like, oh, look, they said they'll consider it or something like that. And then a new commercial comes out a few weeks or months later, that was probably already in the can anyway. And her father says, wow, look, you did that. You wrote them that letter and they changed their commercial. And that's because of you. Look what an impact you've made. And Megan took that moment with her, which is not bad on either side, I don't think. I don't think Megan believing her father at all makes her a bad person, right? She was a little kid. Her dad told her something. She took him at his word. And I think for his part, her father was just trying to do what he thought was a good dad moment, a good teaching moment. And building up his daughter, not realizing that 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 little tidbit of a story would shape so much of her future and that her future would become so bright that it became something that there was a big spotlight on. Yeah. The problem is, from what I read, is that he didn't say right away, like, wait a second, that's not exactly true. Um, he didn't He didn't tell anybody right away. It wasn't until after they fact-checked it that he was like, yeah, I did that because I love my little kid. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that, you know, shame on him for not saying right up front, hey, don't talk about this because remember that time when you were 12? <laughs> I was right. <laughs> I just did that for you. That wasn't PNG. Anyway, right. so then she she um she goes on to Northwestern, mm-hmm. um, and her major we think her major was communications, but she's claimed it's political science and international relations, which I don't really think matters that much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I was an English major, um, but you know, I also had a great love for history and. Um, philosophy, but you know what I mean? Like, I think it's whatever, but it Mm -hmm. could speak a little bit to the truthiness of, of her narrative as she likes to tell it. 
Um, yeah, for sure. You know? Yeah. I think that there is, there's this aspect of Megan and you know what, to be fair, everybody does this, right? People build themselves up. Nobody wants to walk around. I mean, some people do. Some people are very self-deprecating to the point where like, I know people who are like that and it is actually annoying. It's like own, like own your good deeds, own your good aspects. You don't need to always talk down about yourself. It's very frustrating to be around those type of people. And then there are people who are a little bit the opposite and they talk themselves up a lot. Um, Megan being somebody who had huge aspirations. She wanted to be an actress. She did an internship at the Argentinian embassy in college because at that time she was thinking maybe she would go into politics. So Megan was somebody who she talked herself up. And so maybe her major was communications. That's not a bad thing, but Megan has wanted it to seem a little bit more substantial in saying she was a political science and international relations major, which Again, maybe she took a ton of poli-sci courses and she decided that's what she loved and she knew she was going to maybe become a politician at some point, again, with the internship at the embassy. And so she she highlighted that part of her resume rather than the communications part of her resume. That's nothing to be – it's nothing to be ashamed of and it's not even a knock on her because a lot of people have done that. And I always like to say a resume is a marketing material, you know, you you put your best foot forward and you point out what you want people to know on a resume. And so I think one of the things with Megan is that throughout her career and especially as her time and especially throughout her time as a royal, when things have come to light that maybe should be corrected, she does not correct it. She either fights back and doubles down or ignores it but yeah. that's a problem <laughs> yeah and i think that she you know she could have never known the scrutiny that every single piece of her life mm-hmm. would engender because of uh what she did you know af- you know later when she was an mm-hmm. adult you know you just don't know like if people went back and scrutinized every detail of my life from birth I mean, thank God there wasn't social media. That's all I'm saying. Um, Right. (laughs) I mean, for reals. Like, I feel so sorry. Like, just as an aside, I feel so sorry for my kids that they are growing up in a social media generation where every single aspect of their lives is put on display for everyone in the world and they can't Mm -hmm. put a foot out of line because everyone's going to know about it. I think that is disgraceful. Um, And Mm -hmm. I hate that for them. And, and thank God that wasn't my life or my world or my friend's world or, you know, my husband's world or my parents' world, for goodness sakes. Um, I just think it's it's too bad that we have to go back and scrutinize all that. On the other hand, if that does happen, just saying a mea, mea culpa, like, it's my fault. Like, hey, I said it was poli-sci, but it was really communications with an emphasis in poli-sci. Mm-hmm. Like, then, then it's over. Then it's done. Like, just move on. <laughs> You know, right. like no one really just cares. Own that. It and- yeah, just own it. Just own it. I think there's a certain amount of hubris in not owning the um, the somewhat um, apocryphal sides of your life or the sides that aren't completely truthy. You know, you just have <laughs> to you just have to say like, okay, yeah, no, I, I took a lot of poli sci, but I was really a communications major. But I wish I'd been poli sci major, but I didn't have enough credits to graduate or whatever. Um, right and now, I'm working for this, you know, ambassador in. Um, I guess in DC. So was she in DC for that um, internship for the Argentinian ba- em- embassy or whatever? 
Or was she? Um, where was she? I'm not sure if she was in Argentina at the U.S. Embassy or if she was in D.C. at the Ar- or wherever the Argentinian embassy is. I know some embassies are not actually in D.C. or New York. Um, I'm not sure which way it was, actually. I can look that up. Yeah. So then, um, so it was through her uncle, right? But then he wasn't invited to the wedding, which do we, do we get into that somewhere? Because that doesn't make sense. Someone who had helped her so much in her early career wouldn't be invited. Yeah. I think, you know, as we, as we get through these episodes and we start moving into Megan and Harry's relationship, we'll probably talk a lot more about what, what happened with her family and the the breakdown with Megan's family. But yeah, you would think that a relative who is close enough to you to help you get that type of experience, you'd think they'd be at your wedding. You would think that they would receive a coveted, and like, this is not, by the way, guys, like keeping in mind, this is not a regular wedding. This is a royal wedding. This is a massive event on the world stage where there are hundreds and hundreds of people invited. These are not regular churches in the center of town. William and Catherine were married in Westminster Abbey. Westminster Abbey holds 2,000 people. And yes, where Meghan and Harry were married was smaller at St. George's Chapel at Windsor Castle. And by smaller, I mean, it still held 800 people. (laughs) Like, they were not pressed for space here. (laughs) Oh, wow. I don't think I realized that. But you know, she didn't have a lot of family members there. It was just her mom, right? Yeah, it was just her mother. Um, So she had her mom. She had... Um, a close childhood friend who is not the close childhood friend that we hear about in the press. This was this is a more discreet friend that she has. Um, and then a lot of celebrities who, for example, you know, Oprah was there. George and Amal Clooney were there. Her Suits castmates were there, which makes sense. Um, the Mulroneys were there at the time. Jessica Mulroney was her best friend. And Jessica Mulroney's husband is the son of a former um, prime minister. So we'll, we'll kind of get into that side of Megan's life and her, as she, you know, made her way in Toronto, the, the folks she started hanging out with and stuff, but her guest list at her wedding was zero family members with the exception of her mother and initially her father and a lot of celebrities. And at the time, George and Amal Clooney had been asked like, Oh, how do you know, how do you know the couple? And George said, we don't, but we're happy to have been invited. I don't know if he was kidding, and I don't know that that's necessarily 100% accurate because Princess Eugenie's husband works for George Clooney's company. So he is a little bit in the royal sphere, and you know some of the royals have been invited to Casamigos events because of Jack's job. Um, but George said, we don't know them. <laughs> And so that's kind of like, okay, so what are you doing at this wedding then with a prime seat right up front? Um, well, I would have been there. I mean, if someone had invited me and I didn't know, I'd still have been there. So like, oh I get yeah, <laughs> attending makes attending makes complete sense to me. It's the, how'd you yeah. get the invite in the first place <laughs> where yeah. I'm like, that part is a little confusing to me. Um, but I totally well, understand why they accepted the invitation. <laughs> Yeah, hundred percent. So, okay, let's let's circle back because we'll get back to that um, later. But so after college, she moved back to LA to be an actress. Was a calligrapher on the side, which mm-hmm. um, I've known lots of calligraphers. I don't know, strangely, but I, especially one in particular <laughs> that I remember. She does the most beautiful Christmas letters, and she worked for. Um, um, the Ritz doing calligraphy and, and whatever. And she made an excellent 
living doing that and met tons and tons of people because of it. Um, because you can charge a fortune for calligraphy for wedding invitations and things like that. So she was doing that mm-hmm. on the side, which is totally admirable. I wish I were a calligrapher. I write like a serial killer, so I can't ever claim that <laughs> ever. Um, and then her thing, so, it's so true. No one can read my writing. It's awful. Um, and then her big break came for deal or no deal, which I totally remember her on deal or no deal as the briefcase girl. And she was super cute. She was like up at the top. And I think, I don't know how often her briefcase was empty, but she was a, precious. And I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so she was on Deal or No Deal, which is theoretically her big break. Um, and interestingly, it is the thing she tries to wipe off her resume the most. She she feels that being on Deal or No Deal was not, not the image she wanted to portray. She felt it was a little bit cheesy and tacky. Um, interestingly, the role she had right after Deal or No Deal was on... 90210, the reboot of 90210. She was on, I think, one episode. She played somebody's date or girlfriend or whatever. Um, and she's doing some scandalous activities. Um, and so it's just interesting that it's like she felt that being on Deal or No Deal was demeaning, but then went and did her very next role was something much more demeaning. Um, but anyway. Was this before or after her amazing Hallmark movie, which I just adore? I believe Hallmark took place like during the same time like after deal or no deal she started getting like the little hallmark movies she got a role in i believe the movie horrible bosses um she was like the fedex girl she did a ooh, she did a beer commercial i don't think it's a bud light commercial though i think it's like a miller light commercial i think it's miller light um so she did a few things where after deal or no deal she was kind of building momentum um other famous deal or no deal people, Chrissy Teigen, right? Chrissy Teigen has oh, shot up the ranks. Oh, I love her so much. Um, she's so cute. And so Megan was in good company as a briefcase girl. <laughs> Which, P.S., can I just please say, do not call them little Hallmark movies because we all love Hallmark in this house and we all <laughs> love it beginning in October. So yes. don't even. There's like no, yeah, I, I don't ever mean to knock. Out. I don't ever mean to knock a Hallmark movie because – Again, like same thing here, like starting as soon as the air gets cool, I'm like, okay, Christmas time, Hallmark movies, like let me get in my cozy pajamas. My husband calls them my cat pajamas and he hates them. Um, <laughs> but oh, he's <listen>. like <laughs> – Two years ago for my best friend, I did the 12 days of Christmas. And so every single day I sent her a Hallmark-related thing. Like I sent oh. her like, um, I don't bother me. I'm drinking tea, drinking tea and watching Hallmark sweatshirt. And I sent her a blanket and cozy socks and coasters and all the things for the 12 days of Christmas for the 12 days of Hallmark. And it was amazing. Okay. So, well, you have my address. So <laughs> <laughs> do you need the 12 days of Hallmark? I, I, I might. Show? Yeah. yeah I might. That's good I times. Might. Good times. <laughs> Everyone needs that. If you're not watching Hallmark movies beginning mid-October, like you're really missing out. Yeah. It's the best yeah. way. It's just so cozy and they're so feel good. And you, I don't like to watch things on TV where I feel stressed out. Like I have enough stress in my life that I don't need to like add to it during my entertainment time. And there's just nothing more uplifting than a Hallmark Christmas movie. I'm 100% with you, sister. 100% with you. All right, moving on. (laughs) All right. Um, So then she got married. She married Trevor Ingleson, who was a producer. Yes. So Megan is, during the time she's on Deal or No Deal, she is auditioning throughout Hollywood. She meets this guy named Trevor. He's a producer. They 
he at the time is like, you know, the breadwinner of their relationship because she is a struggling actress, but a working actress, which is a big deal when you're out in LA. Um, and he is a producer. He actually did that movie with Robert Pattinson, uh, Remember Me, which is a I don't want to give it away because I don't remember I was shocked it. by the ending. <laughs> I was shocked by the ending. It like blew my mind. And it probably wasn't supposed to, but just in case nobody's seen it, I don't want to ruin it for you. Um, but anyway, remember me by did Robert you, with Robert Pattinson. Did you not hear my joke? I don't remember it. Oh, I didn't get it. <laughs> I was Sorry. like, oh, she just didn't see it. Moving on. <laughs> no, I don't remember it. He did so many bad movies for a while that, I mean, God bless him. I loved him as Cedric in, um, was it Cedric? Wasn't that his name in Harry yeah, Potter? Yeah, he was Cedric Diggory in Harry yeah, Potter. Yeah, and then yeah. he was one of the sparkle people in Twilight. He, he was, was the sparkle person. Yeah, he, he was, was Edward. Edward. Yeah, we call them <laughs> sparkle people in our house. Every now and then we see something. My husband's like, oh, look, it's the sparkle people. <laughs> Yeah, he was the sparkle person. Um, But so, yeah, so Trevor Engelson, Megan's first husband, he does that movie. He's the producer on that movie. Um, And right, so Megan and Trevor dated for a few years. I think they dated for like six years. They got engaged and then they got, they had like a a relatively normal length engagement. I think it was like a year and a half maybe. And then they got married in Jamaica. Um, By all accounts, this was a super fun wedding. The pictures are of them all like partying on the beach. Her dad walked her down the aisle. Everybody looked very like, just a very, you know, typical beach wedding. Everybody looks like really relaxed and they're having a great time. It looked like a wonderful time. Um, And then Megan lands suits. So this is what she has been working for her entire life. She lands a starring role on a series on a broadcast station. So that means, you know, CBS has some of the highest ranked shows on TV for uh, for broadcast. And she just knows like, okay, this is going to be it. Like, this is my shot. So Suits films in Toronto. So she's got to go up to Toronto, which is not an easy commute when your husband is living in LA and his, his work is there and you know, he can't give up his whole life. So they have a long distance marriage. And so she goes up to Toronto, she gets herself an apartment and within a few months, I think it's about a year, maybe a year and a half after they got married, she, the story goes, she sent her rings back to him in an envelope and they split up and it came. Rumor has it that this was completely out of the blue for Trevor. He knew that obviously the long distance relationship was hard. They were missing each other. It wasn't ideal, but he was not expecting their marriage to end. And so he was just completely sideswiped. Is that the phrase? No. Um, Side- no, what's the word? Blindsided? <laughs> Blindsided. <laughs> <laughs> he was sideswiped. Like she was side a sub- she was a suburban, and she yeah. took out his mini. <laughs> you know what? The analogy still works. Then, <laughs> uh, um, yeah. So Trevor's blindsided. I hope she sent back those rings, and you know, I hope they had like signature <laughs> required. Because hello, I do believe it was a FedEx envelope. I think I've read that it was via FedEx. So. She did not just send them back via, you know, regular Here's your envelope. 30, your 35 cent envelope of, you know, wedding rings. Yeah. Oh no, uh, I think she took a little bit. She took a little bit of care with the rings far more than she took with her relationship, um, oh, which is not a great look. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so at this time, Megan and Trevor break up and she continues her life in Toronto. Interestingly, 
her former best friend, her childhood best friend, Nikki, they, Nikki takes issue with their breakup. And I think to me, that says that, you know, for your childhood best friend to side with your ex-partner, that means that you're probably the one in the wrong here. And so Nikki sides with Trevor and Nikki and Megan's relationship begins to crumble. And this is her best friend since kin- or like kindergarten. They met, I don't know when they met like as young, young, young children. This was her like sleepover on the weekend friend. I would be and heartbroken. Has, I would be heartbroken yeah. if my best friend and I were like suddenly not best friends. I would literally be so heartbroken. Yeah. I mean, it would be from, for most people, I think that would be a pretty heartbreaking detrimental thing. And Megan seems to have, um, Taken it in stride, shall I? Don't it did think not so. affect her. I don't. That oh, much. I think it did. Like I don't even believe that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dispute you there because even if she didn't publicly show it, there is. If you have ruined your childhood best friend relationship, that is a shame and a sadness and an anger and a, all the emotions that stays with you forever, no matter what your public face is. So she may not say anything publicly and she may not have tried to heal the rift because, again, she has a little bit of hubris. But I will tell you that it has hurt her on a level that she maybe not may not be able to even fully understand. I mean, just imagine, come on, like your best friend. I know. I mean, I can't imagine, I can't imagine that happening to me and my best friend. We've been best friends since kindergarten. We met like the first day of kindergarten in Mrs. Waldron's morning kindergarten class. Um, I can't imagine it. But I also can't imagine treating friendships and treating people the way that we see Megan does later, which genuinely makes me, yes, like she, she walks away from people seemingly with such ease like she I just do that. ghosts people yeah i love people i'm always taking applications for friends so yeah <laughs> that just doesn't that doesn't make sense to me yeah um, like i couldn't do it the way she does it so it's, well anyway it's so sorry again i got i got a, i got a little sidetracked so um so Nikki uh, sides with her with him, mm-hmm. and then she's on Suits, which P.S. Love that show. It's now streaming. I think on love it Netflix. Yep, on Netflix. Love Suits. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, great show. So cute. So love it. Um, love it. Megan is great in it. My husband calls her Princess Pencil Skirt because he. Oh, she like, does rock a pencil skirt, doesn't she? I. It's like they're made for her. Like it's I ridiculous know. how good she looks at a pencil skirt. It's. Yeah, it's so rare that someone can really rock a pencil skirt because you have to have mm-hmm. exactly the right type of body. Yeah. Um, but she does. She really rocks a pencil skirt. Although yeah. I love Donna. Donna's my favorite character on the oh, show. Oh, Donna's so. the best. Donna's She's the yeah. best. The best. She's literally the best. All right. Anyway, moving on. So she divorces her husband. Then she starts hanging out with some high-profile people, including Rory McIlroy, um, yes. the golfer. But yes. it doesn't look like they they dated too much, right? Yeah. It uh. It's interesting. So Megan makes her way into Toronto high society, whatever that means. Um, like I said, she's hanging out with the Mulroneys who um, – Jessica Mulroney's husband, his father, was a prime minister. She's hanging out with Sophie Trudeau, who is the now separated, estranged wife of the current prime minister of Canada. So she they were hang- so cute. That makes me so sad. They were so cute. Yeah, and it's so rare that you see a – political couple like actually get divorced while somebody is in office. on their yeah like I was gonna say like on their reign <laughs> yeah their, in office yeah no they don't in have reigns anymore nope uh, I'm stuck in the royal realm right now yeah you um, are so you know so yeah she starts hanging out with these like pretty influential people um she is 
there's a photograph of her. She's out to dinner with the Mulroney's, Michael Bublé, um, her at the time celebrity chef boyfriend, Corey, who she eventually was living with. Um, and very interestingly, and this is a big deal as it plays out later um, in the Megan and Harry saga, but she is another person at that dinner is Lainey Liu, who is the founder of the gossip website, Lainey Gossip. And she's always been very Team Sussex. And so... It's interesting that Megan at this point, prior to, you know, Harry is nowhere necessarily on her radar, but she's making her way into society of, you know, high society. And she's aligning herself with a gossip reporter, which many people who are running in these type of circles where discretion is key would not do that. That would be frowned upon. And granted, to be fair, Lainey is at this dinner. All of these people are, know who she is. It's not like this was a friendship that Megan was keeping secret necessarily. Um, Lainey says she is not a source for Megan Leaks. Megan, uh, Lainey has written about it, and we can put the link to something that she's written about it in the show notes and stuff. But Lainey says she's not a source for Megan Leaks. She even says that the photo of them out to dinner doesn't prove that they're actually friends. To me, that reads like, that photo isn't proof, but we still are. But like, don't take it based on one photo. Um, but it's just interesting to see Megan in the orbit of a celebrity gossip reporter because Megan's relationships with the press in terms of who she's who she's fighting against, but also who she's working with becomes a very big part of the story later down the line. So antagonistic. But I feel mm -hmm. like this is kind of where Megan's brand sort of starts to take shape, you know, who she wants mm -hmm. to be perceived as, who she wants to be seen with. And then mm -hmm. she starts the TIG, which, P.S., I never read, um, but I understand it was very similar to Gwyneth Paltrow's Goop brand, um, except maybe not the breadth that Goop has has. Um, achieved nor the mm -hmm. very uh, controversial candles. Um, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so the, the TIG brand starts and I feel like that that is really where Megan is building that brand of who she is, refined, elegant, sophisticated, in the know kind of person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Megan, this is the start of influencer Megan. So while she's on Suits, she's making very good money. She's also being exposed to some minor brand deals at the time she actually was doing in the later seasons of suits. She actually had a deal where she was creating a fashion line for Reitman's, which is a Canadian department store, you know, similar to the vein of like a Macy's or that type of thing. Um, or maybe like a Kohl's, maybe more in line with like a Kohl's and how Lauren Conrad does her line for Kohl's. Megan had her line for Reitman's. Um, and so we start to see influencer Megan. And like you said, almost like she's trying to do a Gwyneth Paltrow goop situation. This is a wide-ranging lifestyle brand. She is talking about health and wellness. She's talking about food and recipes. Um, the TIG is named after a wine that she tasted that she just thought was everything that sophistication and elegance was embodied by in this one beverage, basically. Um, and so Megan starts looking beyond just being an actress and trying to She's thinking ahead, right? She's thinking like, what happens when Suits ends? She knows it's not going to go on forever. Um, what's my next step? And her, it looked like her next step was going to be influencer Megan. And so as she is getting more ensconced in this influencer lifestyle, she's starting to 
up the ante on the quality of clothes that she's wearing. She's no longer, um, you know, she's no longer relegated to purchasing fast fashion type of stuff. Not that there's she's not going to old like, navy, right? Exactly. Um, she's she's starting to elevate her lifestyle, um, and so she actually does something which again, is to me something that is so indicative of the person Megan is going to become. But she throws what is called a Sayonara Zara party. And so basically, she invites all her friends over to her condo or her apartment in Toronto. And she just tells her friends, like, I've bought all new stuff. Take whatever you want from my old wardrobe because I have, like, I'm going to donate whatever you don't take, but you guys can have first dibs on all of my you know, Zara, H&M, like that type of stuff. And then I'm going to just replace everything with more expensive clothing, which is like, to me, such a weird thing. Like, you know, if I'm going to get rid of something, I might like text my best friend and be like, hey, before I toss this, like, or before I donate this, do you want it? And she'll say like, yes or no. But I would never presume to invite all my friends to my house and let them pick through my stuff being like, I'm too good for these things now. So you can take my scraps and like, that's yeah, just kind of what even, it seems like. I can't even begin to imagine if I called my girlfriends and was like, hey, listen, so I've replaced everything with fancy brands. Come over and pick through my old Navy and my loft. Like right. my friends would laugh me right out the door. P.S. I love right. old Navy and loft, so it never oh, be I that. love loft. Um, but that's just crazy and feels very, um, what's the word? Like, like snobby, but like in a in a strange way. Like I can't, and and I'm, the word is not coming to me, but it's, um, I would be offended. I would be offended. Yeah. It's just such a weird thing to do. Like, it's just, I don't know. It would rub me the wrong way. I think I'd be like, Oh, thanks for your stuff that you're too good for. Like, I don't know. It just wouldn't, it's not the same as being like, Hey, I have this sweater that like, it doesn't fit me or whatever. So I was going to donate it, but like, it might fit you. Do you want it? Like, that's a very different thing than like, come pick through my scraps. <laughs> like one time my sister, whom I love, adore her. But one time when I was younger, I think it was in my early twenties and I was wearing something that was like fast fashion or whatever. And she always wore very fancy clothes, but she says to me, you know, you look so good in cheap clothes. <laughs> oh, Oh my god! <laughs> right, and for her, it was a compliment. She was she was giving me the highest compliment. Yeah, feels but like a compliment. The, yeah, but the reality was, I was like, oh, okay, thanks. I think, like, right. you know, and that's kind of what that feels like. Like, hey, you're gonna look amazing in my cheap castoffs. Enjoy. <laughs> right. It, it's just like such a weird thing to do. But like, again, so we've got Megan. We've got Megan doing this with the clothes, which like in and of itself is like weird, but whatever. But then we've got Megan also like her and Nikki get into that fight. And like, she just kind of is like, whatever, Nikki, bye. Like, I'm not going to try to, as far as we know, like there was no, there was no big move to like save this relationship. And this becomes this like interesting pattern. Megan is elevating her life and leaving her old life behind. And she does it multiple times. And the next like big example that we have of this before, and this happens, this all happens right before Megan and Harry meet. Like literally, like some of these things happen like the week that they go on their first date. But Megan starts spending a lot of time in London. She has made it clear to some people that she 
she thinks like the next phase of her life is going to be based in London, based in Europe. That's like the next level that she sees for herself in terms of elevating her brand. And she wants to find herself a rich English boyfriend um, or a rich British boyfriend. I don't think he necessarily had to be English. Um, Could have been Scottish, could have been Welsh. (laughs) Um, But she wants to find herself a rich British boyfriend. And so she starts hanging out with people who could potentially help her get there. So Lizzie Cundy is, I believe she's a publicist. Megan starts working with her. She tells Lizzie she wants to meet a rich English boyfriend. Lizzie is like, oh, you know, what about what about this guy? One of the guys she recommends is Ashley Cole, who is a soccer player. He had been married to Cheryl Cole, who I believe her maiden name was Tweety, but she still goes by Cheryl Cole. Actually, I think now she just goes by Cheryl, but whatever. Um, and Megan is like, oh, no, 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 I don't want... I don't want to date a soccer player. Like I want to date or a football player, I guess. Um, Like I want to date somebody who's like, he see, he had too much of like a bad boy type of reputation for her. That was not the vibe she was going for. Um, She starts hanging out with Piers Morgan, who now she has a very public feud with. But at the time, you know, Piers Morgan was a very influential reporter and she was, you know, they would, they weren't like best friends or anything, but they would go to dinner and they would chat about, their lives and Piers has said multiple times he's like I thought we were friends like this this was my friend and you know we weren't best friends but we would we would hang out we were buddies and when Megan during this time Megan is also hanging out with um the example I'm going to use is Millie McIntosh she was one of the stars of Made in Chelsea which is a reality show and Megan, the whole premise of Made in Chelsea is that these are incredibly rich people. The first series, the first slew of folks who were on it were all like the heir to something or other. Not necessarily titles, but Millie McIntosh was the heir to the McIntosh candy company um, or heiress rather. These are all very wealthy, very old money people. Um, although Mummy Spencer, money. yes. Although I do think that there's, to be fair, um, Spencer Matthews, was on the first season as well. He was actually on many multiple seasons and his family was not necessarily old money, but they were a lot of money, (laughs) enough money where they didn't care if your money was old or new anymore because there's enough of it. Um, And Spencer Matthews' brother, older brother, later goes on to marry Pippa Middleton. So this is like a very well-connected group of people. The princesses of York, um, Princess Eugenie and Princess Beatrice, they are friends with this group of people. Apparently E4, which is the channel in the UK that produces the show, they had tried to get the York princesses on the show. They they were like, sorry, we can't be on reality TV. Like we're princesses. Um, but the Maiden Chelsea folks are like at the royal wet, like at Princess uh, Eugenie's wedding. Eugenie and Beatrice are at their weddings. They hang out. Like these are very well connected people. And so Megan, it's thought her initial goal was that she wanted to be on Made in Chelsea. Um, and Millie McIntosh was one of her friends that she was in. She's, you know, she was hanging out with her in the UK. They would go to Soho House and the Cotswolds together. And Millie actually has her own podcast and she did an episode a few maybe like two months ago or three months ago at this point. And she said that she felt like Megan ghosted her when she started dating Harry. And Lizzie Cundy and Piers Morgan said the same thing. Like as soon as Harry came on Megan's radar, they were dropped off. her. Like she just disappeared from their lives. Um, and Me- And Millie said on her podcast, she's like, you know, I'm happy for her. I don't have anything bad to say about her. 
but she just like disappeared and I don't know why. And I, I, for a long time, I felt like maybe I had done something wrong and, you know, I felt badly about it. And now I realize that it wasn't me. It was her, which is, again, I'm paraphrasing. That's not like verbatim what she said, but that was the gist of it was like, Millie didn't understand what happened and it took her a while to be like, oh, okay, you know what? I didn't do anything. This was not, this was a decision that was made for me, not by me. And there's nothing I could have done to have prevented being ditched by someone that I thought was my good friend. That makes me so sad. I hate ghosting in general. Like, I think we've all been ghosted by somebody at some time or another, although they didn't call it that, you know, when I was growing up. But mm-hmm. it's so hard when someone ghosts you and you don't know why. And I mean, I understand more from a male female perspective. If you're dating someone and they ghost you, like, I get that more than I do, like a female ghosting you who's been your friend, you believe they're your friend. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. they're gone and they, they don't reach out to you. You can't get a hold of them. Like everything just sort of falls apart right away. I think that's really, mm-hmm. really difficult. So I hate, I hate that. And I hate that she's that type of person because I think that when you are that type of person, there's something so broken, you know, that, that needs to be addressed. It needs to be fixed. It makes me feel sorry for her. It makes me have, you know, com- I, kn- I know, you know, it does. It makes me have compassion for her. I know she goes to her. I know that she goes to a ton of people, but I also have to feel like that mama heart where I'm like, man, what happened to you that you feel like it's okay to ghost people. It's okay to hurt people's feelings. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. Me, and I, I think that, sad. I think this is like an indication of brand Megan. Megan her eye is on the prize, right? And she is the type of person, like I said at the beginning, she is the definition of hustle culture. She is going to do what it takes to get to where she wants to be. And being friends with Piers Morgan, who was essentially, I mean, he's a reporter and he reports on a lot of different topics, but he was a tabloid reporter. She can't be seen to be being friends with Piers Morgan when she's dating Prince Harry. Millie McIntosh, a She's an influencer now. She's no longer on Made in Chelsea. She hasn't been for years, but she's an influencer. And I think in Megan's mind, she's like, I can't be dating Prince Harry and be seen to just be somebody who's friends with influencers. Like, I need to be more substantial than that. I think in her mind, she made the decision that, like, I am elevating my life and I am leaving behind anybody who is either no longer helpful to me or who may be seen as a hindrance in some negative way, not really realizing. Again, I think that there's the possibility here that Megan makes these decisions with her eye on the prize and knowing where she wants to go and seeing it as, you know, a chess move of this is what this is the thing I need to do to get me to the next level, but she forgets that the people that she ghosts don't like lose their memory of the situation. Now there are people left in her wake that have an opinion and that other people know that she was friends with these people or that other people are like, well, wait a second, what happened to this situation? She kind of, she's so narrow sighted or like tunnel visioned on the goal that she forgets about the past or the peripheral. And she just kind of, I mean, I, that could be a good or a bad thing. I, in this case, I think it has not always worked out. It's worked out in that she's gotten what she's wanted, but the backlash hasn't been great. But I mean, on the flip side, if you're that singularly focused on your goals that you can make them happen and like everybody else be damned and you don't really care what you leave in your wake, I guess if you can separate that in your mind and you can be okay with yourself, I don't want to say it's okay, but it's obviously worked for her to an extent. 
but it's an interesting position to put your brand in because it kind of puts you as almost like almost the bad guy at a lot of turns. Right. She's left a lot of collateral damage. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that kind of wraps up sort of the beginnings of brand Megan beyond influencer, beyond you know, mm-hmm. actress and brand Megan of the Harry and Megan brand Megan, because I yeah. think now we're about to find out how they meet, when they meet, what happens there in our next episode. So thank you so much for um, helping us understand a little bit about Megan's uh, upbringing and how that brand was established. I think there's still so much out there that we don't know and um, mm-hmm. that, that, our listeners don't know. So we'll continue to fill in those situations as they, as they come about, but uh, look forward to hearing from you next time to talk about brand Harry and Megan prior to their marriage. Yeah. Next time is where we start really getting into from here on out. We start getting into like the really juicy stuff. So (laughs) stay away for juicy stuff.